It is going to be just Jeff and I for this episode and likely another one. Uh, Riley is working on new house stuff, uh, so we're happy for him and glad he's able to do that. But uh, while Riley's away, the cats will talk about Tron Legacy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think Riley does like this movie, but I think it holds a special place for Ty and I um, coming up in the world in 2010 and just everything that was going on. So. We're excited to talk about this one today. I was, it was a special time to experience this movie when it came out. <laughs> Just in line with all the other Tron nerds, which is such a very specific subset of culture. Oh, yeah. A lot of Tron nerds and music nerds. And we'll, yep. we'll talk more about that. Um, before we get into things, uh, there is still a lot going on in the uh, general community uh, in our country. I'm going to include some donation links and petitions to be signed uh, in our episode description. Uh, Donate to black trans and black trans organizations. Uh, There's a lot to be done um, and a lot of support that those organizations really need right now. Uh, So I'll include a few of those and just get involved with your local community. Uh, We can't stress enough how important that is. Agreed. Cosign. So as we get into the actual meat of our episode, Jeff, what have you been watching over the past two weeks? Well, speaking of meat, we've been watching Hannibal on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's great. It's a great show. Uh, Oh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. Yeah. That's as good as I know it to be. Right. Okay. (laughs) So my boy Mads um, is Hannibal Lecter. Um, Will Graham is also in the Hannibal show, which I um, was not aware of. Yeah, uh, and t- that's a huge selling point for me. Right. Um, so, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, Ty is a huge fan of the movie Manhunter, um, which hev- heavily focuses on Will Graham as well as Hannibal Lecter, but more Will Graham is kind of the star. So, um, in Hannibal, the show, they're sort of co-stars, um, and it's very, very interesting. Um, he still is a cannibal. Um, you get to—that's a huge part of. I don't think that's a spoiler. No, I think rhymes that's with his like name. What you know about Hannibal Lecter—that's <laughs> that's his whole thing. I think what's different about either seeing Manhunter or seeing Sons of the Lambs or Red Dragon or any of those, right, is that he is a cannibal, but it's more of his backstory, and it's like a very current part of the Hannibal show. Um, so they dive more into that. So it's an interesting thing of. You know, I know we've talked before about who is the best Hannibal Lecter, and it's hard because with a show, you develop so much more character, um, but it's it's a very cool portrayal, um, so definitely recommend everyone to check it out. That is on Netflix. I think you can also catch it on Amazon Prime. Okay. Um, for some reason, you have one, but not the other. Um, so, yeah, I think it's in both places. I do know a lot of people are really pushing right now for um, Netflix to pick up the Hannibal series for another season. Uh, I, I know there's a big movement there. I don't know how much steam that it's picked up, but it uh, would be cool to see something like that just because it's always good to see a show that uh, got cut short, uh, get another chance. Uh, I know I would have loved that for Firefly. Um, I, community got that chance, which is huge. Uh, so I, I think we're always a big proponent of when a show can do that. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree. 
And then recently, I have been watching... Last night, I started Wes Craven's Swamp Thing, but was not able to finish it. But it's got Ray Wise playing uh, Dr. Alec Holland, who turns into uh, Swamp Thing. And if that name doesn't sound familiar, that's a Leland Palmer or the guy with the white hair from everything you've ever watched. <laughs> I love Ray Wise. He's so good. Yeah, he is. He is. Got such uh, interesting facial expressions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, he does so much with his eyes, you know. Um, and so I definitely I like his characters a lot. Him crying in anything that he's in is upsetting. Mm-hmm. And it's not because it's sad. It's because it's really uncomfortable. And like, he doesn't cry the way a normal person cries. <laughs> Just like every muscle in his face tenses up and then he starts to leak. And it's and he's usually screaming while he does it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I watched David Fincher's Alien 3, which uh, so had heard a lot about it. And a lot of people weren't huge fans of that one until recently. I've seen a lot of talk about the assembly cut, which it is what they have on HBO Max. So I finally tackled that one and it is awesome. It ended up being tied for my second spot in the franchise with Aliens. And if you know how much I love Aliens, that's saying a lot. Yeah. I, I, pound for pound, that original trilogy, if you're going with the assembly cut, is one of the best horror franchises ever. But so, we're also, if we just go with the trilogy, then we are cutting out a whole bunch of other stuff, which definitely does kind of drag that franchise down. Ooh. If I, okay, out- I like Prometheus and Covenant, I should say. I'm, I'm on the side that those are good solid movies they're very different than our original alien franchise though mm-hmm. they're more like an extended universe than necessarily like in the same i don't know like it's it does play on some of the same ideas but it's it is very very different yes you kind of feel like with um at least with prometheus it's like their own fault Mm-hmm. that it happened and all the rest of them i feel like you know what i mean like and that's kind of... that's the thing that a lot of people complain about with prometheus is how can a research team make so many dumb decisions which i understand and i i respect but also there is a lot of really good stuff in both of those i the best covenant has the best looking xenomorphs of the franchise yeah i definitely agree with that it's amazing what time and technology can do. Yeah. Kind of fits in with what we're talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. So as we alluded to earlier, we were watching Tron Legacy, uh, a 2010. Is that correct? That's yes. when it came out, right? Correct. Uh, 2010 movie that is a long form Daft Punk music video. <laughs> and, That's about right. Um, Jeff and I, we have like, we have a pretty extensive history with just being fans of this movie. So I'll let Jeff go ahead and dive into that a little bit before we do our Rotten Tomatoes rundown. Yeah, so Ty and I saw this movie together. Um, it was 2010, so I would have been in my first year of college. No, yeah, no, second year of college. First year, first year for you, right? We yeah, were both first year for, for me because we, yeah, we we went back for Christmas break and saw it in IMAX. Yep, this was the first 3D IMAX movie I ever saw. Um, Same. And so it's this, and it was in the, the theaters in Wichita, Kansas, which m- many of you probably don't know anything about Wichita, Kansas. It actually has killer movie theaters. Like, yeah. 
for some reason, the movie theaters in Wichita, Kansas are amazing. They're really, really good. Um, and so um, we had an experience with this where we both went and saw it, um, I think, opening opening week or opening night. We went, we went opening week, if not opening night. Yeah. And so there's like actually a line to, to see this movie. Um, and if you think about it now, and like where Tron Legacy fits in just the pantheon of <laughs> overall films, the idea that this film had a line for it is kind of funny. Um, but it was a, a great experience, and obviously we both had loved Daft Punk before, and I we had seen Tron before, but largely, in my case, in preparation for seeing mm-hmm. Tron Legacy. So I had seen trailers for it and heard the Daft Punk, and I was like, we have to watch this. Yep. And I, so I had seen the original Tron probably once before as a kid, and then again as we were preparing to go see this movie. Yeah. Um, all I can say is that this movie is, is fun, and I had a lot of fun watching it yesterday. Yeah. But man, if I could go back and relive like maybe one experience, and this, is, this is probably not true, but it would be so much fun to go back and relive that in a theater, in that experience. Like being able to see it on a huge screen. Because it's this movie is primarily a viewing spectacle. Yeah, this is Sight what we talk about when we talk about spectacle movies. Yes. Even more so than like Avengers or things like that, because Avengers have a lot of like all the MCU. They have a lot of draw with characters and nostalgic attachment to those stories. Tron, there's some of the nostalgia, but really the whole point you went for this movie was the sights and sound. Yeah. If you say Sam Flynn, like it'll take me a second for that to register. But if you say Steve Rogers, you know what I mean? Like that's a totally different Mm -hmm. attachment. So I definitely agree. Yeah. And I... So I have always just loved the concept of Tron. I love, this is like, both movies are like comfort food for me. And like, as I've talked about in the past, um, and Jeff, you, you're more than familiar with this. I have, I'm very vocal about my struggles with like depression and anxiety. Part of that is being in crowds. And so a lot of times uh, people like to go, if you're not Kansas City area, uh, there is a bar called Up Down, which is constantly packed. Um, but it is an old arcade bar and they have a Tron machine there. And so regardless of like how many people are there, like I can be like borderline of a panic attack because there's just so many people, which side note, don't know when I'll ever do that again. Don't know when I'll ever (laughs) want to be around a crowd of that many people again. That part of my life might just be closed, but like regardless of how many people there are, how busy it is, whatever, if I can get just like a nice beer and get on the Tron machine, I will spend like an hour and two hours and every token I have just playing Tron. I love the game. I love the movie series. I just, I love what this property is. Yep. And I think that's, you know, pulling it way, way back. The, the picture of how you enjoy anything, right? How you enjoy media, movies, music, experiences. It's all tied up into how deeply you've experienced whatever that concept is so if your thing is horror films is your thing is science fiction if your thing is hardcore dramas but getting into the story behind it whatever it might be i think that there's just something about the the deepness that you can get from a single concept experiencing it in so many forms that's really powerful and so Mm -hmm. it's cool to hear you kind of talk about that um 
you know, we definitely encourage people to dive into whatever they love, whatever that might be, whatever the quality of that final version of the thing might yeah. be. It doesn't necessarily matter if it's something that works for you. We are huge advocates for regardless of like, regardless of objective quality or what people think of something on mass, like you is that how you say that? I don't know. I just thought of live moss and I don't know. That just made me laugh. <laughs> Regardless of what you think, Liv Moss. <laughs> yes. That I, so I'm definitely going to start doing that now instead. But reg- like, regardless of the general perception of quality of something, if you find something you love, like we're huge proponents of just diving into that thing 100%. Like, be a huge fan of whatever makes you happy. If it like, because Tron Legacy is a oft shit on movie. <laughs> And like, if you I, hate I don't it, think, that's totally fine. Eh, that's fine. But also, we love this thing. <laughs> and I, I don't know if my score will end up reflecting my true appreciation and relationship with this movie, but we'll we'll address that when the time comes. Sure. It, it's hard to score this one. It is. Should we get into some general info before it gets into what it does well? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so we can't talk about this movie without talking about the fact that it is a sequel. So the original Tron came out in 1982. Um, This one came out in 2010. Um, And obviously the budgets are the thing that is so different about these two films. So the original Tron had a budget of only 17 million, which in in 1982 actually I think is pretty high. It's pretty big. Right? Um, But compare that even in just raw numbers to the budget for this one, which was 200 million. Um, So I mean, there's a significant investment um, in this movie. and, And I think you can see that in its visuals. Um, and it's not like they, they cut out on either on cast either. I think there's just some uh, directorial choices and story choices that we can definitely talk about. Um, yeah. But as far as this, this film um, overall, this is a sequel to the original film. The first film is Jeff Bridges' as Kevin Flynn, who's a computer programmer who gets sucked in accidentally to this world. Um, and you meet the, the programs and the users, and you meet uh, Tron, who is also a helper, um, helper program within the original movie um in this movie um jeff bridges returns as kevin flynn um accidentally gets sucked back into the world of tron and well no he so he's been oh yeah in between he gets sucked back yeah yeah, yeah. or or yeah, he yeah, yeah, or yeah. he goes back in and gets stuck there whatever you you know whatever you want to say but um we find his son 20 years later after originally he does not return um he's a being a real bad boy yeah uh garrett headland who i feel like i've seen in other stuff i feel like i only really remember him from like i could not tell you a single other thing he's in he's in triple frontier and he's really good in triple frontier um he's also kind of a shithead in that movie i think that's just kind of his (laughs) thing um but he's like dollar store chris pine (laughs) yeah i think that's about right um so garrett headland who is is the epitome of like the disney bad boy which is where they're doing quote-unquote bad things that aren't really bad. <laughs> like, releasing software for free in, in like, a very... Un- Welcome to the cause, comrade Flynn. In a very unveiled thing against Microsoft, like, Disney <laughs> shitting on Microsoft, which is the funniest thing in the world. Um, uh, Disney is the mega corporation that right. they, like, are shitting on. It, like, I think that's a trend in a lot of Disney movies now. We've seen that frequently. Yeah. Disney the corporate overlords shitting on other corporate overlords. Yeah. Um, and I think 
I think making fun like directly of Windows 7. What came out in yes, 2010? 100%. Right? Yeah. That was Windows. I believe that was Windows 7. Right. Um, which is just, a, it's such a funny. There's a couple <laughs> references in this movie. I'm like totally losing the thread of what the summary of this movie is about. So we'll get into some yeah. of that other stuff too. But um, same. Yeah. Uh, Windows 7 came out in uh, 09. Yeah. So this movie is a, is a veiled rebuke of Windows 7 in general. <laughs> Clue is actually clippy. Um, I don't know if you knew that. Um, okay, we'll get back to the plot, and then we'll get into the, just the insane things this movie does. So Sam is also a computer programmer. Um, maybe you never really see him like program anything until he like gets into the building and gives away Windows 7 for free, essentially. Um, he also is a base jumper um, and lives... <laughs> base jumping, motorcycle driving, cores a banquet, drinking bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> we have to... Okay. Oh, I'm gonna, we're going to pause on the Coors Banquet because we have to come yeah, back Yeah, we're going to gonna save that for another I segment. just want to dive into so many of these things. Okay, we'll, we'll really get to the plot. So Sam gets gets sucked into the computer accidentally. He goes around this world and discovers that there's um, someone who looks like his dad, but is not his dad, named Clue, who runs basically this world inside the computer. Um, he then finds um, his real dad, um and we didn't talk about how he gets in there okay let's talk about uh, how he gets in there wait so he goes to the old arcade after uh the after his dad's old assistant's pager goes off with a signal from his dad uh supposedly from his dad and he goes to flynn's arcade which is very present in the original tron and he flips the breaker and everything turns on with separate ways by journey <laughs> and it rules it's pretty it's so it's good. pretty awesome also the fact that they didn't unplug anything. They didn't turn off stand. the music. They just flipped the breaker when they <laughs> left. And they're like, when we come back, we'll want to turn it all on at once. <laughs> yeah. We're going to sheet everything. We're throwing some plastic sheets on everything. This is going to be a month tops. They probably got sent to work at home for a pandemic. And they're like, <laughs> we'll be back, back in a couple weeks. You know what's funny um, is that... I'm going to get real weird adult on you right here, but like I get this email from like my power company all the time. That's like, here are things you can do to reduce power. And they're like, unplug everything when you're not using it. And all I can think of is this <laughs> huge bill that the owner is getting. Also, I don't, is the bill going to Sam Flynn? Because he's, I think it's going to the company. Probably. He acts like he's never been to that arcade, like since his dad left. So like, why they don't just sell it or do something else with it. It makes no sense why 20 years, just nobody has broken in and stolen all the machines, but that's okay. So anyway, <laughs> Sam Flynn gets sucked into the computer um, and everything is still touchscreen in 1982, apparently, or whenever the hell his dad gets sucked back in. Um, and so he gets sucked in, he encounters this world. We encounter two versions of Jeff Bridges. One is this fascist leader named Clue, one is basically the dude from Big Lebowski um, <laughs> who keeps saying things like bio digital jazz, man. <laughs> there are so many things that you can tell that he's just like, I'm just going to channel the dude. Like, I'm just going to talk. You yep. know what I mean? Um, and so there's essentially this big, um, big conflict over all of the programs inside the computer want to get out into the world. So Clue has created an army of programs to go to the portal and come back as real life people, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, 
we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get, get into, into that. So yeah, a whole lot of that. I think that's a good enough summary of the movie. We can get into uh, some of the greater things. If you have not yeah. seen also, Tron, you've oh, gotten the this ISOs. far. Oh yeah, we got to talk about yeah. the ISOs. What? Yeah, what the fuck are the ISOs? Isomorphic they're algorithms. A, yeah, so they're a self-propagating program within the computer that, as far as I can tell, basically was a randomly generated AI that has now begun that continued to like exponentially grow and then clue committed genocide on them. Yeah. This movie, this movie gets into some heavy shit and just never addresses it. I mean, (laughs) there are so many deaths in this movie that they just like, don't give any weight because everybody's digital. Um, Yeah. So they just explode into digital blocks and it's like, okay, okay. I caught it this time. I had never caught it and never really processed it before (laughs) in the, we're, we're we're jumping right into what we like about this movie because sure. this will trans translate directly into my favorite scene in the movie. And I mean, sure, like I'm giving that up early, but we have to talk about it. The club derezzed scene. <laughs> um, but there is a scene when like clues henchmen come through the ceiling and right after they've been causing chaos. There is a program crying, holding just like a bunch of these blocks. And it's like, if you translate that into what that represents, that is one of the darkest fucking things. Just holding the pulp of her former loved one. Yeah. (laughs) In a children's movie. Just screaming in, in sorrow for her former lover of 20 years. Who has been disintegrated in front of her. And she's Just holding his guts and blood in her ruthlessly, hands. Ruthlessly disintegrated. Is this... Is, oh, hold on. I gotta find out. Is this movie rated PG? It has to be PG. It's right? PG. Yeah, yeah. 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 For sequences of sci-fi action violence and brief mild language. <laughs> Doing a lot of heavy lifting there with that sci-fi action violence. <laughs> oh, man. Uh... God, it was like he got hit by a city bus going 80 miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so as far as this movie and and what it does well, I mean, there's obviously tons of crazy things that occur. Um, Let's pull it back a little bit and just talk about what Disney did right with this movie. Mm -hmm. So in no particular order, and we'll dive into each one of these, I think the casting is really good. Um, You can say... I think the casting is good except for one... And it's, it's still even a good casting, but it could have been better. And I've talked about this for years, and it's clear what they wanted to do, and they just couldn't get him. They they wanted David Bowie as Zeus. <laughs> they absolutely did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought Michael Sheen did a good job. but yeah, Michael Sheen is good. But he definitely but, was channeling Bowie the entire yeah. time, for sure. I that was uh, I'm gonna I want to talk about Michael Sheen later. Um, yeah. I have so much to say about that scene and that performance and where it fits in this movie. But I think overall, I think the casting is good. I think Jeff Bridges is definitely. I mean, obviously, you can't have a Tron without Jeff Bridges, but he's mm-hmm. perfect in the role that he has. Garrett Hedlund is fine. Um, I think he probably that's, did. That's his, the most yeah accurate description of him he's fine uh yeah i i don't care about sam flynn at all but i don't know that that's no. necessarily gary headland's fault i think that's the way they wrote him olivia wilde is uh a very interesting choice i think most yes. of the time she does a good job there's some things that i think are interesting that she does we can also talk about that but i think like you know what i mean like the 
I think this movie did get decent casting of people. I think so. Um, I think the, and we'll, again, I want to dive into each one of these. The soundtrack is awesome, right? Uh, being able yeah. to get Daft Punk to score a movie. And this is the only movie they've actually scored, right? Um, I, I'm trying to remember. I believe there was one. We can ask. So there is an animated movie, but I don't remember if they scored it or if it just was set around a Daft Punk album. Are you talking about the one that was for Discovery where it's the anime movie? I believe yeah, that's, so. Yeah, it's just directly set to their album. So if you okay. if we count that as scoring it, then yeah. But I would say that there's not exactly, you know, it's not exactly the same thing as scoring this movie where it's, it's different. I have heard, this was in April of this year, that Daft Punk was possibly going to score a Dario Argento movie. Did you hear that? Yes! Yes, I did hear that. Yeah. That, oh. Uh! Black yes. black glasses. It's gonna be an upcoming yes. upcoming film, uh, crime film. So obviously, most people who are listening probably know who Dario Argento is, but he did the most recent Suspiria, right? No, he did the original. Oh, the original Suspiria. Suspiria. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Guadagino or Guadagino did the Suspiria remake, but Argento, he he's best known for um, for both Suspiria and some some Giallo movies. Um, which are apparent, not apparently, um, essentially the uh, Italian, they're the spaghetti western of horror flicks. Yep. Um, they're the black gloves, they're the hypersexualized, a lot of color, um, blood that looks like red or orange paint, and also with some like hyper realistic, gruesome violence thrown in there. I So I love Giallo. Uh, I think, uh, shout out to Giallo our friends at, <laughs> yeah, shout out to our friends at Nightmare Junkhead. Who said there's always room for Jallo? <laughs> it's it's such a bizarre and really interesting subgenre of horror, and I I could do a whole other episode on how influential Jallo was to the American horror aesthetic, um, but I'm not going to do that here. But the idea that Daft Punk is doing a uh, score for that, um, so it's likely going to be a modern modernized Jallo crime thriller. Uh, with a Daft Punk score, that's insane. That's so unbelievable. Yeah. I think that this movie, I mean, we've talked about it before, this movie is basically a long-form music video for Daft Punk, right? Um, yeah. But I think that what's so unique about, it's always unique whenever a musical artist who has been so successful in other mediums scores a movie, right? And so we've mm-hmm. seen that a lot with Trent Reznor, who's done tons of scoring for yeah. um, other like films. He did Zodiac, um, with um, who did he work with on Watchmen? Atticus Ross. Atticus Ross. Yeah, it, that's who he does all of his scoring okay. work with. Yeah, and so that him shifting into a different, um, not venue, medium. Um, Remember when people wondered if he'd be able to do it, <laughs> and people were like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know." The Nine Inch Nails guy doing a movie score, and now he's, in my opinion, one of the best film scores that we have yeah i would agree it's unbelievable it's I, I think people underestimate how how much skills translate across different mm-hmm. styles of things like there are so many examples of creative people who are able to extend their specific skill into another creative medium right because their spatial skills or whatever it might be mm-hmm. you know still translate into some of those things there's plenty of artists who make music there's plenty of musicians who become really good cooks or you know what i mean there's just it, I, there is this I way to cross 
there's a lot to be said about how much translates specifically from the industrial scene over to a movie score mm-hmm. because I feel like they are incredibly similar in the way that you there's a lot of ambient noise there is sound that you work into things I don't know I think that's a topic for people who have a much better music education uh, than I do uh, they could definitely dive into that and I would I would read listen consume whatever form that mm-hmm. is because I think there's a huge thing to be said there yeah definitely agree so as far as what it does for this movie um, I think that this movie, and what I, what I think you really have to compare this movie against the original, is the original Tron has almost no soundtrack. Like, it's very, I don't know, not dry, but there's just not this, like, lush surrounding soundscape mm-hmm. with it, right? It's Their focus was the visual. Right. And so I think that's what's so interesting in comparing the original to this one is, this one is full. There is always sound. There is always something underlying um, and really builds the atmosphere. Um, not only like in how it looks, right? But I think they just meld together to, to make this world. Um, mm-hmm. And by having Daft Punk, who obviously has done a ton of work in the electronic space, and be able to use that music, it really makes sense in this. But they, they, it's not even all electronic all the time. Like there's a track um, in the soundtrack called Adagio for Tron, where they do, it's almost all strings. It's all a composed mm-hmm. piece. Uh, and that's what I also like about this soundtrack is that it does weave in and out. It's not all one note. It's very, you know, um, wide and ranging in what it tries to do. Well, that's so you touched on something really good there. I don't think a lot of people realize. I mean, a lot of people still think that we have no idea what the Daft Punk guys look like, even though they've like it's their you can find identities it. are not you hidden. Can find it. It's very public. Um, but. So that kind of just touches on the understanding people have of Daft Punk. And a lot of people overlook that. I believe they're both classically trained, uh, if I'm not Oh, wrong. I don't think I knew like that. They, I, I could be totally wrong. I could just be interjecting. But they have a lot of experience with piano and strings. And very. they're, they're not just like the electronic DJ guys. Right, right. They're very, very talented uh, musicians overall. Yep, definitely agree. I think another thing that is so interesting about this movie, well, I want to kind of get into the look, but I want to go from Daft Punk into the look. So do you have anything to say about mm-hmm. the soundtrack? Um, no, other than that it's one I have to find on vinyl. Right now, as far as I know, it's impossible to find mm-hmm. because it sold out everywhere it could. I think just this movie, and we've talked about how Jeff and I watch it when, we came, when it came out, um, and I think... We, we talked about this off mic. It has a lot of influence on why we both, but especially me, are huge fans of synth scores. Because um, I watched this before I watched any John Carpenter movie mm-hmm. ever. Um, and I really, I think this is what really sold me on a synth score in a movie. Just like, this is fantastic. This is what movie scores should be. This is what I love. Mm-hmm. And then to find out that not only are they not the first to do it, but there is a long history of a lot of all these other fantastic synth scores in movies. Um, and so it kind of, it kind of pulled me in and then I uh, reverse engineered back into, uh, you know, John Carpenter, one of my favorite directors, musicians, what have you of all time. Right. I would agree. I mean, I don't think I have near the, um, 
near the background that you do with soundtracks. I mean, I think I'm, I'm learning more, and obviously we've, as we've done this podcast, I think I've become more aware of them. But I think this was the first first movie that really translated for me in how comprehensive you know soundtracks can be and how mm-hmm. how artful they can be on their own um and that's maybe that's not fair because i'm sure i've seen plenty of movies that do that already but just having this tie into like uh who made who by acdc <laughs> for uh stephen king's a maximum overdrive <laughs> i don't know i there's there's so much more to learn and, and i don't have the same like i said like reading comprehension level that you might with soundtracks mm-hmm. but i would say for me as a 19 year old and really seeing this for the first time i think it got me definitely interested in what soundtracks yeah. can do i i and i think that's the best thing this movie did i think it got a lot of people our age into understanding what a comprehensive score does for a movie um beyond just like you know, watching a movie with a licensed soundtrack with a bunch of songs you already know. This, and I mean, sure, we all grew up with Star Wars, Back to the Future, et cetera, et cetera. So many things that did have a lot of um, really these big orchestral soundtracks uh, or big orchestral scores. But then this brought a very modern take on the comprehensive score that really fills your entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and introduce a lot of people to that in a new way to show you it's not just John Williams. It's not just Alan Silvestri. Right. Um, so there's so much more that can be done. Do you have a favorite in the soundtrack? A favorite track? Y- uh, yeah, and it's D-Rest. Okay. It's, it's got to be. See, I don't know. I, I really like uh, Arena. Like where they first do the the bike fight. Arena is good. Yeah. Arena is very good. And then I also really like End of Line, like what they're playing in the club before they have the fight. Um, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting too. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to pick, but Drez for a decade at this point has been one of my favorite songs. <laughs> All right. So let's switch into the visuals because that's the other thing that this movie does really, really fantastically well. To do a quick bridge from music into visuals, I think one, it's cool that we get to see like Daft Punk actually in this movie. Yeah. You know, like they are as much characters in what they've created as, you know, anybody else. And so this movie almost sometimes seems to take inspiration from Daft Punk themselves. A lot of the helmets mm-hmm. are very similar to um, the Daft Punk helmets, especially the one where it's like the clear glass all the way through. Yeah. Like Rensler is basically wearing the exact same helmet right yeah i mean the 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 tall glass one uh that's like that's straight up a daft punk helmet right. and we see it everywhere in this movie right so yeah i want to hear your thoughts on just kind of the visuals overall and how you think that impacts the movie so i think being able to take what is so iconic um the the discs the gates uh they even have the tanks in there but really the most iconic thing and what people always associate with Tron and what will forever be associated with Tron are the light bikes. Yep. That's, that's what everybody knows Tron as, even though it's only one portion of the original arcade game, you, you hear Tron and you think light bikes. And that is, that scene is unbelievable because when, so they, they kick all their bikes on, they form their bikes with the little bars. And then as soon as they kick on the light trail and it's just, it's a very rich and the CG looks very good. Yeah. It, Even to this day, a decade later, just 
there's a really there's a heft and there's a very substantial just feeling to these walls of light that are being created behind the bikes. Yeah, I would agree. And I think what they're really obviously, you know, obviously building on the original movie and the video game and things like that, but just what they're able to do in making it feel very real. Cause in the first one, it's, it's all very boxy. They're on the, the video game grid where it's all mm-hmm. like open. It doesn't actually feel like a real space. And this makes it feel very real. It's, it's as if you were actually in a gladiatorial arena you know, and you're fighting each other. And so I think that what they're able to do with that scene, and I would agree, the CGI, any of the scenes where they don't actually have to combine humans and the background. I was going to say, we, we'll get into that later. Most of the CGI looks good. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I said that and then I thought about but it. But I mean, I think the, the world they build, the action they show and things like that. And we're obviously now very accustomed to CGI and, and blending that stuff mm-hmm. in. But I mean, I think this is, probably one of the first films of sort of this new era that like really, really uses it. Well, again, we're not talking about the people. We're mm-hmm. just talking about the scenes because there is even some of this stuff in like early two thousands. Like people talk about the CGI and like the prequel series of star Wars. Right. And you can watch that mm-hmm. now and you're like, uh, you know what I mean? It's very distracting, but in you sure. Mm, I, mm, I, I don't know my personal opinion. Phantom menace, man <laughs> looks good. <laughs> but I, I think that, yeah, I think the visuals are, are so cool. I think I also want to talk about just like what the characters look like. Like it's this yeah. very it's this very similar palette throughout the movie. Um, even in the real world, it's this it's this dark glowing, you know what I mean, palette of characters and this, these blues mm-hmm. and um, light aquamarine and stuff like that. Um, and so I like what they do with color in sort of the the good versus the bad where everything that's bad is in orange and it's like a very clear like mm-hmm. visual representation and it may be kind of simplistic you know what i mean like i understand it's a it's a very simple dichotomy there's not a lot of subtlety there but i don't necessarily know that in this type of movie that you need visual subtlety like it's going for yeah. maximum um i don't know contrast and showing you know what you can do with those types of things so um and they're obviously doing callbacks to the blue and orange of the original tron as well and I like what they're able to do with the costumes with the glowing bars instead of having the mm-hmm. like different electronic uh, like diagram shit. Like if you like if you were look at an actual like electric circuit diagram, that was all over their uh, suits in the first one, and in the second one, it's more mm-hmm. just these glowing bars of light. And I, I think that actually does look better. Yeah. Oh, for sure. the The character design as a whole is very strong. Um, I think that like we could talk about the music and the visuals and all those things for hours like especially you and i could do that very easily but let's get into and this is going to be a little more difficult let's get into the things that we don't like about this movie i've got a couple what's kind of your I, I what's do your well. list um, let's do our list and let's get into it yeah so mine is the the de-aging and the cgi <laughs> on some of the the human characters the jeff bridges mm-hmm. really uh the just some garbage dialogue yep very bad dialogue and a very thin plot. And then plot implications at the very end of the movie that just make absolutely zero sense. Yeah, playing playing pretty fast and loose with yeah. <laughs> what can actually occur. I would agree with you. I think let's do um let's do the look of Jeff Bridges of Clue. And even young Jeff Bridges at the very beginning of the movie. Young Jeff Bridges is probably the most egregious. It's, um, it's very, I think it's very clear 
where they started and where they invested their time because yeah. Clue is better than Young Jeff Bridges. Young Jeff yes. Bridges also is Clue very... just go ahead. Clue just works because he's a computer program. Like yeah. you can you can write that off with him. He's a, he is computer generated, right? So you can say he just he's a computer program. Uh, you don't get that benefit with Young Jeff Bridges in the beginning, um, but the the very end close up of Clue like at the climax as they're about to go out of the gate is bad. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely, again, tell which scenes they invested the money into for making him look good. Is he also, it looks like they just used Garrett Hedlund's body. Like, I think they had him actually do both. Pieces. I think they might have, they might've had a mocap. It looks that. exactly like him. It's so funny. Um, yeah. I, it's so distracting. And it's at the very beginning of the film where you see it. Like, I really feel like they should have done, something different like a phone call or you know what yeah. i mean like something where it's his voice and he's talking but you don't actually see him because it is bad it is really really bad it's just so flat you know what i mean and you can tell yeah. they're trying to hide it in certain aspects like when he's actually next to his son he's like looking away most of the time or it's a side <laughs> so they don't have to like show the whole thing so yeah definitely agree there it would be yeah. it would be interesting to see them use like what they did on the irishman you know what I mean? And actually yeah. show like whatever a quote unquote better version is. Even the Irishman has some spots where you're like, eh, you know what I mean? But Oh, see, I think that brings up a really good point. They were doing this in, I mean, this movie was in development way longer than before it came out. Right. Um, but so mid to late 2000s doing this and we're in 2019, 2020 and still having problems with de-aging. Right. It's just, it's still something that people just, it's hard to nail down because they're the uncanny, uncanny valley is impossible to navigate. I think the only one that really worked for me, I thought that the de-aging they did in, in Captain Marvel was um, Samuel L. Jackson was actually pretty good. Yeah, Sam Jackson looked great yeah. in that. But I think a lot of that was prosthetic. I don't know. Oh, that I don't know. I, th- I thought they did de-aging. I, I, think, I think it's a digital and, um, and prosthetic. prosthetic. Gotcha, gotcha. I think it helps it. Uh, Samuel doesn't have near as many wrinkles as like Robert De Niro. I think that's probably why, yeah. also why it worked better. And he just like, uh, other than like being thinner when he was younger, Sam Jack has pretty much remained the exact right. same. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um. So, oh, we didn't touch on this uh, in our. We forgot to cover this in our what we liked about the movie. So I'll just drop it in here, uh, and we can throw it in with egregious product placement, but. Uh, <laughs> Some good old Coors Banquet. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever... What a beer to include. Have you ever seen a movie where the primary beer is Coors Banquet? Because I don't think I ever have. I, I'm i sure I have, but I can't cannot tell you what it is. <laughs> and the fact that it's so prominent of showing him pull those, pull those brass cans out of the fridge... You know what that is even before you see the label because it's so distinct. Well, it's funny because I was, I was a little bit distracted. So when I saw him pull stuff out of the fridge i was actually wondering if it was even going to be a beer if it was going to be like a soda yeah. or something like that and i just love that disney's like you know what if we're gonna put a beer in let's go ahead and make millions of dollars by get, making it cores and making them pay for the product placement just i don't know such a funny after yeah. a, a night of base jumping and hacking into a <laughs> company what i really want is a nice cold course banquet <laughs> it'd be even funnier if it was like Michelob Ultra or something like that. Like this is actually. I I would have loved if he had had the uh, like the, the Fat Boy bottles, the, those little squat like pill bottle looking Coors Banquet bottles. 
Imagine if it was just like like Red Stripe or like Bud Select yeah. or something like that. <laughs> they should have done it with I like I think a, I've seen Red Stripe in more movies than I've seen Coors Banquet. That's true. No, Red Stripe is like an actual preferred beer by, you know what I mean, by a certain... Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it probably is just interesting. I don't... To be totally honest, I know one person for a very short period of time where Coors Banquet was like the beer that they drank. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it's just a funny, just a funny choice. Yeah. All right. What was the next thing on the list? The uh, dialogue and plot. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. Can we do Can we do plot first? Because I think it'll feed Let's into do dialogue. Plot. Okay. Yeah. So the plot of this movie is that they get sucked in. The portals only open for a certain amount of time. Which why? Why is the portal only open for a certain <laughs> amount of time? It's never explained. Um, nope. And Clue is trying to create a perfect world because that was the directive he was given at the beginning and he's a program. So he's just trying to accomplish creating what he views as a perfect world, which means at some point it was Jeff Bridges version of a perfect world as well. Mm -hmm. And they just never like, I don't know. He just never gets back in control of clue or like it, it. I don't really know if I even understand like why, he has no power anymore. Clue is just Hal from 2001. Like the program like just has too much power? Yeah. He, he has an idea of the perfect system, and now any deviations from that are deemed as imperfections and must be eliminated. Um, so that like that's a pretty just a rote plot point from sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the ISOs are a weird, weird plot point to have. Yeah, it doesn't even it doesn't even explain it as like AI. You know what I mean? And so like, yeah, not that you necessarily need someone to hold your hand in this exactly, but like, I just imagine this Disney audience that's like, so they're people, but they're <laughs> programs, or they have digital DNA. You know what I mean? Like, there's a Dino lot of mixed, DNA. <laughs> there's just a lot of mixed things in here. I think the funniest thing is that they would express a program that created itself on its own as having DNA that looks exactly like ours. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> like you get that it's code. If that happens, that's not going to be what it is like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just funny. It's also funny that they kept calling it DNA instead of just like base code. I don't know. Yeah. Um, or genetic code, which is an actual thing that people say. So, um, I don't know. This the, the plot in general, I think we should talk about the end and yeah all of the programs are trying to get out of the portal to come into the real world which would be hilarious if they all just showed up in that room like a million people at the same yeah. you know what i mean um 90 of them are crushed to death <laughs> um so olivia wilde's character which is cora is that right yeah Cora. yeah just becomes a real person and it's never really ever explained how that would occur. Like it just translates into real DNA. You know what I mean? There's a lot of Mm -hmm. uh, bridge jumping you have to do there. What were your thoughts on the ending? Um, so yeah, she's, she's 3d printed into uh, (laughs) our world. (laughs) And like, I've had, I was talking to a friend and they're like, you know, like I, I'm kind of disappointed. We never got a sequel. And I was like, I, have zero interest in the adventures of Sam Flynn and his 3d printed girlfriend. Like (laughs) it's just there. There's no way to make a sequel to this movie because then you have to address all the weird can of worms (laughs) that you (laughs) 
have opened up by showing that they are not metaphorically put into our world, like into a computer program or like infecting a network or things like that. Right. They don't exist. They would have physically had clues plan worked. They all would have physically entered our world (laughs) as shown by Cora being able to, uh, to do it. I feel like, I don't know if it's just because she's the avatar or what, but yeah. And it's, it, it makes them users, right? So it translates Mm -hmm. them somehow. I feel like the, the the sequel is just about, basically all of the programs learn how to fuck like that's the only <laughs> and the implications there that's the next logical step. yeah well it's then you have you because essentially it's just like cora and sam flynn have a kid and the kid is half program and then he goes so back then it in just becomes blade runner 2049 yes exactly um and it's just are they real people or not you know what i mean yeah uh is cora the first replicant yeah true I don't know. It's. I'm glad that they didn't yeah. ever make a sequel. I have no idea what you would even cover. Yeah, I, I don't want it. You can keep it. <laughs> um, okay, do you you want to talk about Olivia Wilde? Because I feel like the dialogue we can't really talk that much about other than just it's, it's not great. weird and bad. Yeah, so here's, here's the thing. Um, I think Olivia Wilde is a great actress. And I think largely, sometimes in these movies when the female characters aren't very good, I don't think it's very fair necessarily to say the actress didn't do a very good job. I think that female Mm. characters, even in 2010 just did not have the same primacy or the same agency or even just have the writing done very well for them. Um, So I don't think her character is very strong. Um, I know. I think that they, she, she is a plot device. Yeah. They give her weird motivations. Like her whole thing is, her whole thing is she wants to become a real girl, right? Like that's, it's the Pinocchio thing. Like she's just Pinocchio in this movie. Um, And so as part of that, she's also really devoted to Jeff Bridges and she's like an acolyte or like, you know what I mean? Like father daughter type of thing. Yeah. And so then there's some weird stuff with father daughter stuff there. And then it's his son. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's bizarre. it's, It's really weird. Do they, I forget. Do they kiss in this movie? Because actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like I, there's some implied stuff, but I don't think they ever actually have like a relationship. I don't think they do, but it's the end implies a relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, um, there's some scenes where she makes some acting choices that I think are super weird. Like all of the stuff where she's like flying the plane, like all mm-hmm. of her like woohoos are like really weirdly out of place. Like they don't, yeah. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're like woohoo, like... <laughs> Like, the, the tone is weird, and, like, there'll be all these scenes where they, like, show her, and she'll be, like, looking down, and then, like, look up at a weird angle, like, or she'll, like, look directly at the camera, like, just where she's blocking There's and spacing. a lot of strange stuff happening. And to be fair, Garrett Hedlund does it, too. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? But they he just has more scenes, so they're less I noticeable. do think a lot, a lot probably has to do with this being an entirely CGI movie. You wonder. You do wonder. Yeah. Like it's it's got to be hard to just act there when you've got nothing around you. Yeah, and that is something that I think not to continue talking about Marvel all the time, but this is a Disney mm-hmm. movie, right? And so they mm-hmm. all of the stuff that's happened in Disney movies and CGI and things like that. I do think that modern movies, because there is more so so much more CGI and people have like practice with it, it does feel more grounded. Like things actually feel directionally where they should be, but in this one, I think they lose their place a little bit. 
Yeah. Do you have any specific pieces of dialogue you want to talk about? No, because it's just all so forgettable at the, like at the very base level, it's just forgettable. <laughs> I mean, I think Jeff Bridges has some gems, but uh, yeah. But I mean, Bio Digital Jazz, and then it's it's hard to remember anything outside of Bio Digital Jazz. He has he had one other one that I'm trying to remember. I'm gonna find it. Um, okay. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, all I'm not even thinking of. I was just finding like bad, bad dialogue, and all of Tron's dialogue is bad. Yeah, I fight for the users, and you're just like, okay. Um, just That's just uh, Flynn didn't program him with any of that he has a very limited script pool to pull from he's like woody with the string being pulled yeah <laughs> yeah and i think a lot of clues especially like anything where clue gets really emotional is all really bad yeah, like that's rough i did it's everything everything you ever asked oh i remember my my least favorite thing of dialogue and it's in every fucking disney movie that gets even a little bit philosophical and it's at the very end they're like you know what you were right about what? Oh, yeah. About everything. You're like, fuck God. you. Like, what are you I hate fucking it. I hate doing? It so much. Some fucking freshman English like <laughs> dialogue writing. It's fucking terrible. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, oh, I have one more thing. Okay, then we'll move into our standouts and letdowns, because we've, we've rambled a bit, yeah, 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 so we'll, yeah. we'll run through those and uh, wrap okay. up. Okay. Killian Murphy's in this movie for like 30 seconds. Yeah. Why? <laughs> No idea. <laughs> in 2010, I think he had still done quite a bit of stuff. He had done, he had for sure done Red Eye. Had he done um, Batman Begins? Oh, he'd done Batman Begins, yeah. yeah. So why is Killian Murphy in this movie for 30 seconds? How, how I... much could that have cost to put Killian Murphy in the movie for that long? <laughs> and he never, I, I totally thought he was going to be a bigger plot point, but like the yep. board and Killian Murphy and the main like evil chairman guy just never reappears. I wonder if they had a bigger plot and it got cut. Maybe. And we're going to make the light just... bike scene 20 minutes instead of 10. <laughs> <laughs> that that would have been... I would have taken that for sure. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's stand the scenes. Standout scenes. For me, I... Oh, and so we're going to talk about here because I did talk about the light bike scene. So I'm going to take the D-Res scene in the club as my standout scene. Um, Michael Sheen's performance is bonkers and weird and i really love it and you could tell they were trying to channel david bowie Mm -hmm. and it feels like they wrote that role for david bowie and then couldn't get him to do it yeah they're like what if uh what if willy wonka was like more insane (laughs) and ran a club inside a computer what would it be like i think the fact that the inclusion of the cane does so much for that character i would and also it's a gun yeah i would agree i think the the light bike scene is number one. I think the club mm-hmm. is number two because it's really the only uh, culture building thing in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like the it, world is... That's where a heft of your world building right. is coming from. Right, Like Because there are these programs who come to the arena and watch, but they don't have any character agency. The only time you really get to see characters just sort of be themselves is in the club. Um, I have a yeah. question about the thing that happens right before that scene. One of the fembots... Um, that like helps oh, yeah. him, yeah, put on his clothes and stuff to prepare for the arena. Um, has an umbrella. 
Why does she have an umbrella? Aesthetics, man. It's so weird. I'm always distracted by it every time I see it. She is actually the source code for Instagram. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> oh my god. What is uh what is caster slash Zeus the source code for? Um All dating apps. <laughs> he was a patient zero of dating apps. That makes sense to me. Grinder and Tinder and everything rolled all yeah. at once. Yeah, he's he's clearly pan. So just any app. Farmers only, there. whatever it might be. <laughs> Plenty of fish. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about Plenty of Fish. That's a solid one. Uh, okay. So we've, we've kind of covered both those scenes. And let's move into our letdown scenes. And for me, it's that opening. Yeah. With uh, him playing his prank on the company. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think mine is the ending. Not necessarily the, the once they get out of the computer. It's the um, the final, like, fight where, yeah. like, it's a very narrow, like, bridge. And instead of kicking him off the bridge, they keep kicking <laughs> them back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I don't like I don't like anything that's, like, doing something for the plot where it's like very clear that the characters would have made a different choice if they weren't trying to extend mm-hmm. the plot. And I don't, that whole last part is like none of it's organic. It all builds yeah. toward like very specific blocking that it's doing. It's kind of the same feeling as something going towards a cliff in a movie. Right. Cause you know, it's going to stop right at the last second. Right. And, and it does nothing for the plot and it doesn't build any tension. It's the same way with that. Yeah, I agree. All right. So let's do a quick who the hell is this for and then ratings. Man, who the hell is this for is an interesting one. I, I know. Do you have one that you want to start with? I had them and then I forgot. I've got I've got nothing for this one. I have can't I have comps that all seem bad. Like I'm trying let's, to th- let's hear your three, because I've got nothing. <laughs> okay, my my only comp is getting sucked into a game into a world that is totally different than the one you're expecting. And it's probably Jumanji, either the original or the, not the newest, newest one, not the newest sequel, but the one where they actually get sucked into the video game just because they have extra lives and they can, they do get like derezzed or whatever the equivalent would Mm -hmm. be, but then they come back. So like just this idea of going into a computer or a video game, like maybe the newest Jumanji. And the original Jumanji probably too, because you get sucked into this world where you don't control it and it is game oriented. I don't know if those are actually good comparisons, but they are similar in plot. Okay. So I I have come up with the only, only one I can come up with, and it's not a movie, but it's a series I watched as a kid constantly. And then I actually forgot about it for a long time until just now talking like unlock some part of my brain. Uh, but the r- series reboot, a Canadian animation series set inside of a computer. Uh, and there was like a virus running around trying to kill everybody and uh, turn them into viruses. And it's the one, the biggest cultural touch point for that series is the warning incoming game. And a giant purple <laughs> cube would drop down onto the city and they would all get sucked into some sort of video game because the person who owns the computer was playing a game. And so they had to go in and populate the characters of the game. It, it's a wild series, and I have no idea how it held up, um, <laughs> but it's one I want to revisit soon. All right, my next comp is mostly just what we, t- we talked about a little bit before, but Interstellar 5555 is the Daft Punk yeah. movie. 
Um, and it just takes the Discovery album and creates a, an anime movie corresponding to that album. So if you start, the movie starts when the album starts, the movie ends when the album ends, and they basically just animated to it. So it's the opposite of a score, right? Where it's been, it's been flipped around. The music exists mm-hmm. previously, they create a movie to match it. And it's um, like this alien band that's playing, and then they get like half the band gets abducted to go play for and basically be like subservient to another um, alien planet. And so that it's like the rescue of that band, basically. Um, so if you're looking for a story driven by Daft Punk music, then Interstellar would be a good fit for you. Perfect. I don't know that I think uh, it's that good, to be totally honest. Yeah. But it is it is a fine use of an hour and 20 minutes. Solid. Uh, oh, okay. I have one, and it's not it's not really a good comparison. I've got absolutely nothing left after this. I have one but more. You want to? You have a movie with some great, uh, some aerodynamic motorcycle action. You go ahead and watch Acura, baby. Hey. It's the light bikes without the light. <laughs> Actually, even in some scenes, they leave the little light trails. So there you go. Um, okay, my last pick is. If you like movies where part of it takes place in an unreal world uh, programmed by another person, you might like the recent Matthew McConaughey movie, Serenity. (laughs) (laughs) Which I just spoiled it, but it doesn't really matter. Oh, no. That movie is so fucking insane. It's It's not even necessarily that wild. It's just that plot exists. Um, mm-hmm. and everybody should watch that. I'm pretty sure that's on Amazon Prime. Everybody should watch Serenity. I think it is. I'm I'm gonna eventually get around to watching. Don't it. go in expecting like a great time. Just go in expecting yeah. having the ending be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's do ratings and then get out of okay. here. Um, so for me, this movie, I love it. It's a great experience. Uh, I the score is really what holds it together for me when paired with the visuals. I'm still probably bumping it up uh, from what a lot of other people would give it. I'm going to hit it with a seven. Ooh, all right. See, I'm I, I'm borderline at the same place. Okay. So I, I feel like this movie, without any of the connection to it, is probably a five, right? Yeah. Where the plot is terrible, the dialogue is bad, some of the character choices are bad, but all the visuals, all the music like makes it a, a very moderate film. I think because of my connection to it, I'm going to do a six and a half. Um, yeah. And it's a movie. This movie is also comfort food for me. I generally watch about three fourths of this movie, yeah. um, and then stop. So like essentially after like the club fight, I'm I'm kind of clued out of the movie because I don't really care anymore. Mm. Um, and that's that, what all, that's all you really need. Yeah, too. all the best visuals and music take place from just after the club fight backwards. Um, even like the final scene where they're like flying around doesn't even seem that yeah. cool, and it should be really it, cool. It doesn't do much for yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm at I'm at a six and a half, I think. All right, yeah. So long long time favorite of ours. Really love it. Objectively, you know there there are some issues with yeah. it, but that I it's super fun to talk about. I had a great time doing that. We hope we definitely rambled yep. a bit. We hope you enjoy that one. Yeah, hope you guys enjoy that one. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Hopeless Four. Have a good one.